Welcome to Totally Biased Media, the podcast where three brothers that know nothing about video games tell you everything they know about video games. I'm Jordan, and Oonga Boonga, I'm a caveman. I'm Jason, and me other car work with feats. Oi, me Jackson, and I'm in the magical world of Disney. <laughs> this is the inaugural episode of our new series, Games You Forgot About. We're joined by friend of the show and part-time editor, Abby Witt, as we take a trip back to 10,000 BC in Ubisoft's Far Cry Primal. Let's get into it. <sighs> well, first and foremost, Abby, thank you for joining us. Hello, thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. I can do better Jackson accents, but... We'll, we'll have time for that later. Okay, good. There okay. will be plenty of time to make fun of Jackson and the way he is and the way he talks. Perfect. You could just do the whole episode in character. I was talking to Penny, our cat, about it earlier, and I was like, can you think of anyone else that has like a really thick Russell Brand like Cockney accent? And of course she couldn't because she's a cat, but I've been going for like the Essex of the Essex. Russell Brand, we don't mean to insult your uh, accent. It's if just legendary. If you ever feel so inclined to be on the podcast, we won't say no. You seem like a really weird dude, though. I guess that part <laughs> is an insult. I think so. it's a good thing. I think it's a... Right. Yeah. I guess I should give a little bit of groundwork for like this whole series before we dive too far in. Uh, basically... We're stepping away from all these hot new games that people just can't stop talking about. And we're going to sit down with some of our friends and talk about games that mattered to them. Specifically, games that aren't these huge, you know, touchstone games that everybody knows and loves. Like, the the deep cuts, the hidden gems, the uh, all, all those games that, you know, you, you love growing up and then you promptly forget about <laughs> as soon as you get there. So, Abby, I guess let's start off with just your explanation on, on why we're here in the first place. What is Far Cry Primal? Sure. Well, I've, I've been writing you guys to play this game on the podcast probably since before you started the podcast. Um, it's one of the first games that really ignited the fact that I can play bigger games, like big, big kid games, like the games you all play. <laughs> Because of how the story, you can do it in any kind of way. But the game itself is just about, you know, being a caveman, asserting your dominance. You know, like back in the day, there weren't big trucks with giant like rims and wheels and stuff like that. You had to, you had to show it in other ways. So you start by being a member of the Winja tribe. And you're kind of run out of your homeland by this really mean saber-toothed tiger. And there's only two of you that survive. And then you just kind of go around this big land of Oros and start claiming other tribes from the Udom and the Azila. And it's a pretty cool, it's a pretty fun game. Yeah, I definitely remember you've played a lot of this game. I've 100%ed this game four times. Yeah. When we first started dating, I remember going over to your apartment, and if anyone was playing a game, it was always this, Grand Theft Auto Five or, like, Call of Duty. Lots, it, yeah. Absolutely. Everyone just kind of traded off between those three. It's really funny that, like, those other games are these, like, huge games that millions and millions and millions of people play, and then, like, this is the third one, but it's, like, a shared interest. It's not... Like, just you. This was, like, one of oh, the no, communal no. games. No, no, no. This one was just me. They watched me do it. Oh. 
Now, did you play this game like when it first came out? Or how were you introduced to this game in the first place? I think I just saw it and I was like, oh, this is a caveman game. That's pretty cool. You don't see caveman (laughs) games every day. I'm like, Far Cry games are supposed to be pretty cool, so might as well try it. But I don't like any of the other Far Cry games that I've tried. No cavemen. Well, if you've only tried the more recent ones, I understand why. (laughs) We were planning on doing a podcast episode on the most recent Far Cry, and it was so boring that we decided there was literally nothing we could do with it. Yeah, that's been my experience. The past, like, I've played, like, 15 minutes of, Jason can tell you, whatever Far Cry games I've played. And I just can't get into it the same way that you get into Far Cry Primal, like, instantly. Yeah, I think especially with Far Cry 6, they have, like, that bombastic intro where you're, like, escaping from the police and doing all kinds of stuff. And then when the actual game starts, everything grinds to a halt, all the enemies have a million health, and it just kind of loses all of the fun factor to me. But Far Cry Primal, I think it fits in a lot better with, like, Far Cry 3, which didn't have a lot of those kind of, I guess you'd call them deeper RPG elements. Yeah, there weren't like damage numbers and huge health bars and like stats you had to deal with. There weren't, you know, like there are, there are still like skill points and stuff, but they're more directly related to how good of a caveman you yeah. are <laughs> more than like smgs do 10 percent more damage there's no dumb stuff like far cry primal if an enemy gets killed by a spear at the very beginning of the game they're gonna get killed by a spear for the whole thing the way that you can tell an enemy is more powerful is if they're bigger and taller yeah and whether they're red or blue but honestly (laughs) like that is the top favorite part of the game and jordan you've probably not seen me play a whole lot of like actual like big name games that like a lot of people like i like being able to do whatever I want. Like if I want to go just look for collectibles, I want to go look for collectibles, which is sure. 15% of completing Far Cry Primal, by the way. And That's every Far Cry game that there's always a ton of collectibles. That's just their deal. It's so funny to me that it tells you like what percentage of the game you've completed and you complete the story mode and you're at like 25 maybe you really can you can blow through it. And I mean, that's another one of the parts that I really like because I've seen how Jason plays games. And a lot of the times it's going very methodically to talk to this person says to talk to this person and Jason goes to talk to this person. And then he just gets a bunch of like missions all gathered up and then like leads out. Right. Because that's how you're supposed to kind of like play games from one like place to another. But I like it in Far Cry because you can do it in whatever level you are at. Like if you can kill them, you can win it. And like mm. it doesn't matter. That is my absolute, you don't have to go in like a linear way through the game. One thing I really appreciated about this game, because just side note, I I played the game when it first came out because I absolutely adored Far Cry 4. So when I saw they were making this like big game that sort of expanded upon that and had the new setting, I was like totally in on it. And I played it at the time and I finished the story and I I didn't do everything, but like I actually found my old save for it. (laughs) So I was playing it for this and I think I was at like 70%. So I put a good deal of time in this game. Yeah. And I think the main reason I did and like what I liked so much about it at the time was just this loop of like you build a bow and then you use that bow to go and kill a couple of wolves and then you use the wolf skins to make, you know, a, a spear 
or, or an upgrade for your current spear. And then now you have that slightly better spear that you can use to take on, like, a tiger or something. Mm -hmm. And then the tiger will get you, like, the stuff you need to make an even better weapon of some kind. I don't know. There's there's a handful. But yeah. I really like this loop of you're just a caveman with a stick. <laughs> and then you have to go and kill things and collect things so that you can build a slightly better weapon and a slightly better weapon and a slightly better weapon until eventually you're kitted out with like six different weapons and more ammo than is physically possible to carry and you can down like uh, mammoths and saber-toothed tigers like it's nothing i really like that loop of i'm gonna get slightly better stuff and slightly better stuff and slightly better stuff until i am very very powerful and i'm just running this whole place yes <laughs> and I do think a lot of games now, they sort of sacrifice that loop for a lot of really important narrative stuff, which like is good sometimes if the game can tell a good enough story. But I do think a lot of games today, especially open world games, don't rely enough on their gameplay and they just want you to engage with NPCs so they can tell you what's going on and they do the thing. Whereas this game is just... Go out, start hitting stuff, gathering resources. Right, and I think that's what I like about this. Like, there's not too much setup. You, I mean, it's very clear. You're a caveman. Survival is very cut and dry. I do enjoy the loop of this game. It's not necessarily my thing. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely a lot more into, like, narrative-focused stuff. And uh, this game's narrative is completely told to you in caveman noises. <laughs> like, the, no one speaks English. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you have subtitles at the bottom of the screen, and then they go, Unga Wenja, Bordump Da, Blah, Udom. <laughs> and it's just like that for the entirety of the game. I think I'm going to have to call the police on Jason. You don't say that over public airwaves. <laughs> yeah. So this isn't the first time that Far Cry's done one of these kind of spin-off-y games where they take the Far Cry formula and put it somewhere new. But they did it with Far Cry 5, and they made New Dawn, which was like a post-apocalyptic, very RPG-heavy game that was not very good. But they also did it with Far Cry 3 with a game called Blood Dragon. And I know, you're, I know you really liked that one. So what do you think like the big difference between this and Blood Dragon are, Jason? I mean, Blood Dragon's just completely structured around making fun of like 80s action movies. I mean, the intro to the game tells you that it takes place in the distant future. And then it's like the year 2005 when the game came out in like 2012. It, it was definitely past 2005 by the time it came out. Like there was, there was definitely more of a narrative focus in that game. There was a story going on. Your character was sent to, it was just a recolored version of the map from uh, Far Cry 3. But your character was sent there on like a pretty cut and dry mission. And everything that you did was building towards that mission. But there was just a lot more, I guess, dialogue with the NPCs that kind of kept me interested in that one. Uh, it also helps that it was only a subset of Far Cry 3's map, which was already much smaller. So, yeah. like, it was a smaller package than this. Far Cry sure, Primal, sure. yeah, it doesn't really have that kind of interesting dialogue. Like, Far Cry Primal isn't funny. Far Cry Blood Dragon is very funny sometimes or at least it was when it came out i don't know how well it's aged because i haven't played it in a while <laughs> i couldn't imagine it's the best <laughs> there's yeah. one super humorous character in far cry oh the hunter the guy that pees on you <laughs> yeah his name's wooga thank you very much so funny enough he is actually a recurring character so he is in every far cry in some capacity does he always pee on you no 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 uh but he always has a different 
well, I think he even has the same name in the modern day games, but he's just like a random dude that will show up and help you in every single one of the games. And also they made a caveman version of him for this game. I was going to say, and he does not do that in this game, by the way. He does not, I mean, he does. He becomes a member of your tribe, but like actually help you. No, the first time he sees you, he pees on you. That's awesome though. Like you've almost kind of sold me on some other Far Cry games just to see Wooga. <laughs> I also really liked that Far Cry Blood Dragon had a bunch of weapons that were super over the top. Your main starter pistol was RoboCop's pistol. So it fires like a really fast three round burst. And I think like once you upgrade it, it's the best gun in the game. And you get like a sniper rifle that has a, a name with like four or five words in it. And it's just absolutely huge. And it's I guess that one's also RoboCop inspired. I liked that vibe a bit better. I'm not super into the whole caveman thing. Not knocking it. I know, like, Abby's really into it. <laughs> I told Jason as soon as you all started, like, crapping on Far Cry, I was out of here. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I'm just gonna peace out. You know, I do have a fun story about why I missed out on Far Cry Primal. So, I played Far Cry 3 and Far Cry Blood Dragon, and I really enjoyed those. And I bought Far Cry 4 at launch on my PC. But it turned out that my PC at that point still had a dual-core processor, and the game required a quad-core. Because almost everything in that game is on the third processor, or the third core of the processor. I did a lot of research into this to figure out why it wouldn't run on my computer. But it just kind of put a bad taste in my mouth, and I still have not actually sat down and played Far Cry 4. And then the Far Cry games that have come out since have just kind of passed me over because of that. Except Far Cry Primal, though, right? (laughs) Well, I mean, I never played Far Cry Primal until a few weeks ago. I know, I know. Well, but you had seen a lot. Okay, okay. I have a question for you, Jason. Yeah. How, yeah, how did it feel to go from, like, watching it being played to, like, playing? Uh, It was an experience. It was a lot of yelling that I was, uh, not throwing things enough <laughs> you weren't to be fair you weren't dude when i'm using the club i want to hit people up close and personal and then when i use the spear i throw it uh, also the spear in this game is insanely overpowered it's pretty overpowered especially when you start getting up to the zila like mm-hmm. it only takes when you can carry like four or six spears i think it's six it only takes two for the udom in the body of course like one for the head I mean, you light it on fire and it's done. I really like how, uh, as you progress in this game, like you're still using spears and a wooden bow and clubs and stuff like that, but you just get like bigger versions of those. (laughs) Better spear is just like sharper and longer spear. (laughs) Yes. Well, and I mean, even the Azela, um, the club, the Azela club is probably the smallest in the game. But it, it, where it's so sharp, there's kind of this feeling, too, of, like, learning from the other tribes and, like, what works. And then uh, annihilating them and keeping all that knowledge for yourself. Just like the Romans. Yeah, I don't know. There's just something, <laughs> just something about it, you know? Jordan, going back to, like, talking about how, like, things are kind of cyclical, how did you like leveling up everybody's hut and, like, your own hut? I mean, it was something that, like, I think I actually appreciated more now than I did when I first played the game. Because when I first played it, I was not the type of person that cared about like going and searching for resources and stuff. Mm-hmm. Whereas now, I think it's Destiny Brain uh, <laughs> has made it to where I can just like walk around a map and do the same thing for an hour and be completely content. <laughs> so, like the first time I played the game, I remember that stuff feeling really grindy, and that's why I never like one hundred percented it. Whereas yeah. in this game or this time playing the game. 
I just have so much of every single resource available in the beginning that like whenever yeah. I got to something new, I was like, here you go. I yeah. just have like 10 that skins of every animal just stash. like in my bag all the time. I have so much wood that like I could build whatever I needed to. <laughs> like, yeah. so I really appreciated it this time, but it was definitely something that I was less excited about the first time. Well, and it's something that like builds up through time from your first daily reward stash where you get like, I don't know, a couple of wolf skins to your last where you get like rare cave bear skins and stuff like that. It really adds up. I really particularly like the cave painting cave where like every cave painting that you discover gets transferred to this big cave and like you're in an offset of like your cave and you can just go in and see all of them. And it's, that's pretty cool. I like that. Yeah, I don't think I found enough of the cave paintings to really get to experience that cave. Yeah, it's really neat to watch every cave painting get illuminates the cave a little bit more. So you go from a completely dark cave to a cave with like five or six candles to like it, you know, the cave paintings taking up every single inch of the wall and like there being candles everywhere. So that's a pretty cool part to build up to. I I wasn't super into the whole uh, having to scrounge for resources thing. Because it felt like the resources I was finding were never useful. <laughs> Hold on, I have something to say about how Jason played this as well. He didn't start, like, any of the skills multipliers to where, like, he could find one red leaf and get, like, three red leaves. Mm. He put it all into yeah. Taming Beasts, which is completely fine, a completely valid way to play the game. That's the part I was excited for. Correct. Yeah, sure. But you also had the opportunity to get resource multipliers to where you didn't feel like it was super grindy. And those are under Saya. Those those are under the first one that you get. The girl that like the late the Winja lady that's in the cave with you. I hear what you're saying. The first story mission where it was like, you need to fight this bear, I just tamed the bear instead though. That felt good. And I hear you saying that. I mean you that is you realizing how much fun I have with it not having to be in any sort of order. But yeah, I mean, like, that's why you felt like you needed to grind for resources because you haven't put any skill points into finding them. See, I, I'm always the same way, like with whenever there is a ability in a game or an item you can get or something that's just like, use this and you'll get more of this. That's always my first priority. Oh, that's always yeah. my lowest priority. I, I want to get the skills. I want to be able to do new things. I want to I want to be able to cut down a tree and somehow get three trees worth of wood out of it. Right? Yeah. I I mean <laughs> the same. I'm I agree with Jordan, but I do understand yours, Jason. And I mean you can play the game that way. You just have to play it for longer. No, <laughs> right. kind of, yeah. I mean that's how they get you. They want you to play longer, so they're just like, sorry, you you got to get 500 sticks to make this bow i don't know that they wanted you to play far cry primal longer there wasn't a lot of padding or anything there was only like four patches to the entire game too based on what it says on the main menu yeah there there wasn't a lot of patches but i mean i think that's where like the collectibles come in why do you want your game to be like 25 15 percent collectibles if you know i mean like it is a very cut and dry story so Abby, I have another question. And this is one that we're going to ask something similar to all of our guests. Okay. This is the tough one. Okay. What are three reasons why Far Cry Primal is the best game ever made? Okay. <laughs> I'm going to answer in limited words, okay? In the spirit of the Wenja. Absolutely. I am Takar, and I can tell you everyone's name of the villagers, the important Wenja villagers anyway. One, fire. Two, 
animals and fire. Three, riding animals and throwing fire at people. Every time you talk about Far Cry Primal, it makes me think you'd really like Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. I've watched you play that game, and I probably would, but like, I just, there's just something about being the only caveman that wields fire at other cavemen. Like, the Azela are supposed to be, like, the fire walkers, you know? Like, they're supposed to be the, they're the main fire people. So, why don't they hurt me with fire, but I can hurt them with fire? Real easy. And I love that. So, based on your answer to that question, I feel like I already know the answer to this next question. So, I think this is a good time to ask it, though. (laughs) So, what are some things from Far Cry Primal that you wish other games would do? The nonlinear storyline, that is one thing with Far Cry Primal that like really sticks out to me. I like being able to do it in whatever really order I want to. I mean, if I wanted to capture the Azela first, I could capture the Azela first. But if I wanted, you know, slowly work up to it, it's capturing the leader of the Udom. And I don't feel bad for spoiler alerting for Far Cry Primal. You take that leader back to your cave, and he becomes, like, oh, an honorary Winja. And later in the game, you find a baby Udom, and you're like, oh, I have someone who can raise this. And then, you know, it actually becomes, a, like, a joint tribe. Nothing like that happens with the Azila, which I think is kind of weird because the Udom are the cannibals. But I, I still like the, being able to do both storylines in whatever order that I want to. And then there's the side missions. A lot of them, you'll go up to them and, like, start them. And then they'll completely relocate on the map. Which can be annoying, sure, if you like, you're ready for it. But I also like that part of it, of, like, it popping up, you initializing the mission, and then it being like, okay, well, if you want to do this, you have to go all the way over here and actually start it. I just think that's very caveman-y. It's like, okay, I know where one thing is, I'll have to go find the other one. And kind of along those same lines, I like the search missions in the caves, when you have to go find other Winjo, like, trapped in the caves. I mean, even building upon that, I like just, like, regular cave explorations, where there's not any enemies in the cave at all, and you just have to go find, like, puzzle solve, almost like Breath of the Wild. And it's like, okay, if I want to get over there, I have to stop fire a flaming arrow to burn down like the thistle and then grapple from all the way across the cave and Hmm. i it just feels like there's a lot there's always a lot whether it's problem solving or killing enemies that like far cry has you do i mean there's so many random jason was trying to do them all all the random like winja events that pop up and i was like baby those are gonna pop up all throughout the map the entire time like, it's, those aren't exactly worth it. But it is a good way to build XP, and then you can go, like, actually annihilate people. And it's, there's just so many paths to take to play this game. I don't know that I've ever heard or seen of another game that has so much open creativity for the player to do, I think. Even though they are all the same thing. It's just not, you don't have to do it in any kind of way. No one's watching over you or trying to tell you how to play it. Well, not in the game, at least. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I definitely think the cave exploration is a big highlight of this game. Because of, like, the problem solving and puzzles? Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of it can be a little bit simple, but I just, 
I don't know. I like the vibes of exploring the caves where it's like super dark. The only thing you're going to run into while you're in there is like wild animals. Or dead ends. Yeah. There's a lot that just have like straight up dead ends and no enemies whatsoever. That's where the fun collectibles to get are. Like the cave paintings or some of the hands. The Dacia hands. I definitely enjoyed it a little bit more than the overworld because I feel like the map is too big. It's very big. That's another, that's a, that's fair. That's a fair criticism and a downside of it. it. It's very big. It feels like when you're walking around in the overworld, it's a lot of like long treks through kind of samey looking areas. But when you get into the caves, that's where the interesting stuff is. It's the wilderness. Yeah, I mean, I know. I'm not saying it's like bad design. <laughs> I'm just saying it's, it's caveman times. So there's not a lot of interesting stuff going on in the wilderness. That's not true, Jason. Sometimes you'll come across Udom just chewing on people. That's true. You're saying that's not interesting? Yeah, exactly. I treat it the same way that I treat running into the uh, the KKK in Red Dead Redemption, where just it's, it's time to dispense justice. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I do kind of miss when games were simpler like this like i feel like games that want to have this big open world full of collectibles now they also have to make it in a in a map that is so egregiously big and that it has to like do something with every inch of that map and it manifests as like like with assassin's creed how there's just like a million feathers (laughs) and uh there's just like random nonsense collectibles whereas like this game it's still a really big map but i feel like all the collectibles are actually valuable i feel like there's actually a draw to get most of them i feel like most of the crafting stuff and the upgrades all that are things that really help you like if this game came out today it would be in twice as big of a map and there would be twice as many things to get and they would be half as valuable. <laughs> well, and you know, one extra thing that comes with the collectibles and how big it is, one thing that is useless, like completely useless, some of the like question mark undiscovered locations. Mm-hmm. A lot of them don't even have collectibles around them. They don't have animals or anything. They're just like, oh yeah, we put some standing rocks here. Go see them. You just got to pull your camera out and take a picture. You, yeah, yeah. If only they had them. Guys, it's yeah. just like Stonehenge. It's just like Stonehenge, except there's one of them, and it's a lot smaller. I feel like games today are—they're either really getting away from this open-world collectathon type of game, or they're going like way too hard into it. And I kind of miss just games that weren't super mechanically complex, that didn't, you know, have a ton of RPG elements that just kind of did their own thing and this game is very much a game that does its own thing so did you like it jordan yeah i mean i liked it a lot i mean i, I played it a lot when it first came out and i played several hours in the lead up to this and i mean I, it's it's fun it's it's good to just get out and hunt some stuff and gather skins and fight a few few bad guys and <laughs> i i think the hunting is probably the highlight for me yeah the hunting is really good not only can you skin your own tameable beasts, which comes in a weird amount of usefulness when it comes to like upgrading huts and stuff like that, it's wild. I mean, you can like sick your white wolf on a mammoth. Like the hunting is just really phenomenal. And I don't use my owl a lot, but I assume it can be very useful. I've used it in previous playthroughs and you can really level it up to where your owl's like a valuable member of the team that is you and the owl. <laughs> a valuable member of the two-person team. Well, the person and foul. 
theme, I guess. I liked Far Cry Primal. It's not exactly my thing, but I can see the appeal of it. It's not like when I played Far Cry 6, because when I played Far Cry 6, I didn't like it and I didn't see the appeal. But with Far Cry Primal, like, I definitely get it. Like, it has a lot of cool stuff going on. Taming animals, hunting, like, that stuff is all fun and interesting. I really like the taming animals in particular. And I know Abby really loves spreading fire. Yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> it's pretty good. It's it's good when you set a whole bunch of people on fire. <laughs> or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or you use the fire to, like, scare wolves away from you. It's very, I mean, it's really beneficial. I would never. I don't want the wolves away from me. Then I can't see them. That is one issue I have with the hunting in this game. Uh, and I'm not saying it's unrealistic or anything. It's just some of the animals have a lot of health. And hunting them can take a long time because they just run away. Which ones in particular are you talking about? Like cave bears. And what You saw me uh, trying to take down the grizzly bear and the cave bear the other day. And they yes. just kept running away. So it took probably five, ten times longer than it would have if they hadn't. Yeah, but he didn't use fire, so. I did use fire because you told me to. Um, yeah, yeah, not at the beginning. But anyway, cave bears aren't afraid of fire. Like, grizzly bears are, but like, or the brown bears are, but the cave bears aren't. That's another really interesting distinction. Like, all wolves and doles are afraid of fire. The saber tooth is afraid of fire, but the cave bear is not. I think it's the only animal that's not afraid of fire. So it's, there are little things like that that can completely trip you up in like the game playing realm of Far Cry Primal. I think it's interesting with the taming aspect where uh, as you get like further into the skill tree for taming animals, the animals get like bigger and stronger. And then you get the last upgrade and one of the animals that lets you tame is badgers. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, <laughs> can I tell you something? That's the most annoying one. Good luck finding a badger. I killed a badger the other day because I didn't have that skill yet. Exactly. But now that you have it, it'll be hard to find one. <laughs> Promise. I just thought it was funny rolling up on a badger with a cave bear and the game's just like, nah, you can't tame this one. You're just not there yet. <laughs> You're not ready for the power a badger gives you. Well, the little doll's <laughs> the same way. You have like a regular doll and then you have like the black rare doll and it's like, good luck trying to find one of them. You well, I found, to, like, I found a bunch of the rare animals like the first time I ran into them. I think I just I know, got I'm... really dumb luck with that. <laughs> Jason, I'm the one who told you not to kill the black dole. I was like, don't kill it, you need that. But I also Which ran into the rare black lion uh, before I ran into any other lions. I still don't actually think I've run into another lion. I've just run into, like, jaguars. They're cave lions. They're not actual lions, let's be honest. There should be actual lions. I know it wouldn't make any sense geographically. They should be there. That makes sense. I was confused. I was like, this doesn't seem like the kind of place a lion would live. Yeah, no, it's a cave lion. It's not like a mountain lion, but underground. I imagine, I, I think so. I mean, I don't know exactly. I mean, they're not all, also, they're not all underground. You can find a cave lion, like, they're white and gray, just out in the grass. Looks to me like a puma. I guess it could be a puma. I mean, you have a jaguar, so. Well, it's already been a lot of Far Cry talk. So I think that means it's time to pull the plug. I've never got to do that before. I feel so special. Yeah. <laughs> Abby, yeah. what is something else that you've been into? I've been playing a lot of Power Wash Simulator. I don't know if you all have heard of that little indie game. Uh, it's a classic. 
it's come up on the podcast a few times. Yeah, it's, I've been playing it on my Switch. It's very satisfying, and I almost have, like, a uh, pro power washer. I'm at the skate park. That place really sucks. I don't understand why anybody would want that power washed. Other than that, yeah, other than that, I've been reading some. I have some new books. I've been reading um, River of Fire by Sister Helen Prejean, which is a memoir. She's the author who wrote Dead Man Walking, which is the book that, oh, I'm going to mess this up. What's the Green Mile? Is that the Eminem film? No, that's Eight Mile. Okay, good, 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 good. So I was right. It's the Green Mile uh, with Tom Hanks and Michael Terry Duncan, Duncan Terry, um, which is the first movie that I remember seeing that I knew in the moment. I was like, I'm too young to be watching this. Like, this is some serious yes, stuff. that's a rough one. Yeah. Um, so this is... I love Eminem's Green Mile. <laughs> <laughs> no joke, but why did they do that? It's, yeah, it's Green Mile and Eight Mile. They shouldn't have done that. They're very different. Um, but yeah, so this is like her memoir. If you haven't read Dead Man Walking, I uh, highly suggest it. Sister Helen Prejean is like a nun in Louisiana who has been spiritual advisor to a handful, I'd hate to put a number to it and be wrong, a handful of death row inmates. And um, mm. it, yeah, I mean, it's kind of heavy, but it's nonfiction. It's really, it's sweet. I mean, it's a nun who's like telling the story. So it's it's a good perspective. What was the name of it one more time? Um, this one is River of Fire, but it's her memoir. The other one is Dead Man Walking, and I have it if you want to borrow it. Is that an open offer to anybody listening to the podcast? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Who cares? Yeah. If you can get a hold of Abby, you can borrow her book. Yeah. Yeah, if you can DM <laughs> yeah. me on Twitter, I'll I'll send you the book. With a name like River of Fire, I wasn't sure if it was going to be like fantasy or like a, a memoir like you were saying or a religious thing and i'm glad to learn it was two of the three <laughs> yeah, i was gonna say yeah. well and i mean it's really interesting because she became a nun uh i'm not a historian and i'd hate to get it wrong she became a nun around the vatican two time so it's when they go from being like these nuns in you know the habit and always being identifiable to just kind of being regular people and it's hmm. It's interesting. Her memoir is interesting, but I would recommend like Dead Man Walking if you haven't read anything by her previously. Cool. So Jason, what is something else you've been into? I've been watching Clone High, which is Phil Lord and Chris Miller's like TV show from I think 2002, 2003 about hmm. a whole bunch of clones of historical figures all going to high school together. I guess the first one just by the thumbnail. It was pretty good, I, I would say. I don't necessarily know that it's uh it's aged super well. No. A lot of like very two thousand three stuff going on in it, but generally the show is pretty good. If you can overlook that stuff, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Once I finished that season, I also checked out the new season, which like is currently airing, I think, uh, but only on HBO Max. Sorry, HBO Max doesn't exist. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, sorry, Max, the one to watch. Yeah. I was going to say, I actually didn't hear you say a platform. Yeah, so I'm glad you glad you specified. Oh, well, I guess <laughs> I should specify the original Clone High came on MTV. Ah, That makes sense. That also gives a lot of context for the way it is. Yeah, and what it is <laughs> and why. Because it got canceled at the end of its first season. Or rather, it got canceled while the first season was airing. 
because one of the main characters is uh, a clone of Mahatma Gandhi. And people in India deemed that so offensive that there was like a hunger strike and the CEO of MTV or like the president or something uh, was actually like trapped in the Indian office. Oh, like the Indian MTV headquarters by this hunger strike. So the show actually got pulled early and several episodes never aired. Wow. But you can't blame them, though. No, you can't necessarily blame them. It, it's definitely... It's a little culturally insensitive. Uh, Gandhi is not in the new seasons. Thank Gandhi. The new season, I guess, it's just the first episode that's kind of aggressively bad. Because the first episode of season two is all about, like, cancel culture. And it's just a lot of, like, really obvious jokes that we've seen a million times in other shows. But I, I think the rest of the season's kind of coming around. I would like to add on to Jason's what's he been doing. We've been watching a lot of Secession, which I know has come up on the show before. But still good. Still on the last season. And uh, watch it if you haven't. Yeah, yeah. We finished season three last night, I think. Or I guess yes, yesterday afternoon. It's pretty good. I I would recommend it. I would even say it gets better as it goes. I disagree with a little bit of the fact that it's a comedy. I mean, there are definitely some parts where you can like laugh at it just because it's so dark or they're just being ridiculous. But I still very much see it as like a drama with just these are really bad people. I think it, you know, sells itself as a drama. It's, you know, one of those prestige television dramas that HBO is kind of well known for. This one's kind of got like a dark comedy bend to it. I mean, I, I described it in the previous episode where we talked about Secession as being if Arrested Development was a drama or like super serious. Because I think the characters in the show, at least sometimes, like they have moments where they are as ridiculous as the characters from Arrested Development. It's not played for laughs quite in the same way. Well, I was going to say, like, the writers didn't write it to be funny. They wrote it to be ridiculous. Yeah. Like, there are some parts in Arrested Development where they were obviously like, okay, this could be funny. Some parts? I mean, most. I don't know if there is a serious moment in Arrested Development. At least not in the original three seasons. The good stuff, if you will. Speaking of Arrested Development, if, I, I don't know if uh, we've talked about it really. I don't know why we would have on this show. But, um, like, the Netflix seasons are just gone now. Uh, because Netflix is no longer, like, they never no longer have the rights to Arrested Development. And that's so crazy, right? Because they're the ones who picked it up? Yeah, and they made, like, two seasons. And as far as I know, there's just nowhere to watch those two seasons. I don't understand why you would take off any Netflix original content off of Netflix. Period. I don't care how well it's doing. Like, Well, all the streaming services seem to be doing that sometimes, though. Like, uh, just recently, Disney Plus got rid of some of its original content including the show willow which just came out last year really they made it themselves put it on the service in 2022 and they've already removed it the same thing that uh warner brothers did with batgirl or i guess warner brothers discovery where i guess the difference is batgirl wasn't out but all of these platforms are just removing content because it saves them money on their tax bill essentially it's dumb because, like, you know that they still have that movie. They still have that property. I mean... They should at least be distributing everything, like, physically. If streaming services are not going to be permanent, then there should be a permanent way to watch the content. I personally think, you know, like, if they remove content from a streaming service, it should just be made free elsewhere. 
I'm not saying that Disney's going to do this out of their own, you know, goodwill. I'm saying, like, Congress should pass a law. Like, okay, well, if you're not going to provide a way for people to stream this, you have to abandon it, essentially. Like, anybody can just download it for free from, like, a torrent or something. It's just, like, piracy is okay because the original creator has provided no way to obtain this otherwise. I get that, but, like, there used to be no streaming services. Yeah, and everything was distributed physically back then. Well, you used to have to wait between, like, when a movie came out in theaters, you'd have to wait, like, three months before it would even, like, hit renting services, and then a year before you could buy it. Mm-hmm. And, like, I mean, I hear you, I, but I'm just thinking, like, kind of, like, devil's advocate and, like, copyright. Even if you're not distributing your product, it's still your intellectual property. Yeah, I just personally think as soon as you're no longer, like, using your intellectual property... It it should be like a use it or lose it thing, especially in yeah, the era of Yeah, but there would have to be there would have to be like a seventy years on top of that. I mean, just like there is for like regular properties. No, I'm saying Congress should do something and get rid of that seventy years. Yeah, they're not going to do anything. That's what I have to say about Congress and the seventy year copyright law. Well, yeah, <laughs> maybe Parliament will do something about it instead. They seem to have, oh. you know, the 21st century figured out a little bit better at least. This kind of thing comes up a lot, especially with, like, game preservation. Well, and especially more with streaming services. Jordan, what have you been up to this week? So, I'm going to talk about a book, (laughs) uh, specifically the 12th book in the Cradle series, the end of a series that has been, I believe the first book was in 2016. Um, That's a good run. This is a fantasy series by Will White, and uh, it's, it's sort of what I describe as if anime didn't have the things that make anime bad. Because um, this is this is a story about a kid who is very bottom of the barrel. Uh, he lives in a world where everybody has these magical powers and he just kind of sucks. And he basically just learns that there is this whole world out there uh, that he had no idea even existed, and that, what's the best way to put this? Kind of the whole Einstein thing, which I don't think it's even actually an Einstein quote, about if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, it'll live its life thinking it's stupid or something. Yeah. And basically, it's the story of this kid who's in that exact thing, where like he does kind of suck in this one set of parameters, but when he has the whole world at his fingertips, he become something very very different and it it has all these big over-the-top anime fights and all these vibrant crazy characters with all sorts of incredible powers and uh it's been slowly building and building and building to this fight that's taking place in this most recent book that's basically a battle between gods and this kid has to keep up with the gods now and it's it's very good it's very satisfying to like watch this progression unfold and it's it's a series that it is 12 books and they're getting pretty long like i think this most recent one's like 300 pages and the rest are not much shorter than that but it is it is a series i have felt has really made good use of its time and i have learned a lot about writing and storytelling from this series and Ooh. it's just it's it's a really it's a really good bookend to a story that has been you know 12 books in the making so yeah for sure i really recommend it if you like fantasy it's one of the best series I've read in a very long time. It sort of falls into this genre that's often referred to as progression literature or cultivation fantasy, which is a sort of subgenre that I don't normally care for 
because it has this big emphasis on things like power levels and basically people evolving and taking on new forms and all that stuff. And I don't really care about all that stuff, but I think that even though this series has some of that, it's also a very human story about existing outside of your element and how we can grow from that. And it's been, it's been really, really good. Um, like the whole series is incredibly reasonably priced. I want to think it's only like seven bucks per book. Oh wow! Um, even the brand new one. And you, if you have uh, Amazon's like Kindle subscription service, you can read them all there. Who was the author again? Uh, his name is Will White. Will it's White. The Cradle series. Okay. Yeah, I'm a big Will Wright fan. I really like Spore <laughs> and The Sims. Probably my favorite two works of his. It's a uh, it's it's a really it's a really fun series. Um, I believe the first book is called Unsold, like Unsoul, S-O-U-L-D, Unsold. Ah, uh, so not like a baby shoes, never worn kind of situation. <laughs> no, Jason. No, although there are some similarities narratively to that. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's a really great series. I think what's so smart about it is it does have this, like, the people start off where they're basically just normal humans, and then they, like, ascend this god level but i think what's so unique about this because you see a lot of stories like that especially in anime like take dragon ball for example and compare like goku at the beginning of dragon ball to like where he's at in super now like it has that sort of similar level of progression but i think one thing that's really cool about this series is in the very first book you get a glimpse at like what the end is like where the finish line is like there is a character introduced incredibly early that could like blink and end the world if they wanted to. And then you're watching this guy who's like not even as strong as like a normal human who knows he's going to have to get to that level. And it's like watching that unfold. And it's, it's really, really cool. A lot of fun characters, really exciting world and some interesting ideas about like how the nations within this planet interact with each other and the wars between them. And it's just, it's, it's a lot of fun. It does have some of that power level. This person's stronger than this person because they're this rank. And then when you hit this rank, you evolve into this form. Like, it does have some of that kind of stuff. So be prepared. But otherwise, like, just really great series from start to finish. Yeah, I don't think that's crazy. I mean, it sounds like a really good series. Could you give, like, a good age range? Um, It's, it's sort of strange because... I think in the beginning, it has some of the trappings of, like, a young adult mm -hmm. fiction series. Sure. But it leaves a lot of that behind very early. And not in terms of, like, it gets too, like, gruesome or there's not, like, it's it's never sexualized. There's no... It's not like it becomes more serious because it's, like, too violent or too adult rated. Sure. It becomes more serious in just that the tone changes. Whereas, like, in the beginning, it is about, like, a 16-year-old guy who is in very 16-year-old guy scenarios. And then he is basically shoved into a war where all of that goes out the window. So, like, it does start kind of young adult-ish, but it, it leaves that behind very quickly. And you said there are 12 books. Do you know, like, how much time is between those? Do you think it could have started while the author was kind of young adulty, like getting off of that train and then just like found his own voice. So the first one came out in May of 2017. Okay, so that's not crazy. the most recent one just came out. So I mean, I mean he's turning it was them like out. a six year time jump. 
I don't know how old the author is. I'm not going to do a bunch of digging sure. on him specifically. Yeah. Partially because I'm scared of what I'll learn. <laughs> um, I'm at that point where if I find someone and like I engage with their art and I really like that art, I try very hard to learn as little about the person behind it as possible. Because it's ruined if they're pieces of crap. Yeah. But no, and I think that this series in particular does a really good job of having this very progressive worldview but not necessarily injecting that into every character. Like you still see a lot of different cultures and how they interact with each other. And there is some like discrimination between how people of different cultures interact and all that. But like, generally speaking, this is told from a perspective of we need to look out for people, especially people that have been historically marginalized. Yeah. I, I think that that's, that's cool in a fantasy setting because I think a lot of fantasy makes things like, racism and homophobia and stuff like they take this like uh incredibly unoffensive stance where they either make it like racism is bad and that's all you need to know and like they don't actually get into like what people experience or they're just like this is a world where there is no discrimination in any capacity the bad guys are just bad and evil and bad right (laughs) like i mean and there's a middle line between that of like I'm sure a lot of fantasy writers are like, well, this is just kind of how it was, you know, back in the day. Like, every, I don't know, class species was, like, mad at every other class species and hated them for a reason. And it's like, I get you. That's kind of real world. You're fantasy. Like, you can can change it a little bit. It doesn't have to be like that in your world. So I think it's pretty cool that this is almost, I don't want to call it, like, satirizing or anything, but... It really applies like real world principles to like how we should do things. You should really get that message across to the people working at Square Enix on Final Fantasy 16. Yeah. <laughs> they said, uh, I don't know if you've heard, but there's like no racial minorities in the game because they claimed historical accuracy or something like that. And it's like, it's a fantasy world. It's not real. There aren't people that can turn into monsters either. No, this, this this series puts a big emphasis on the fact that there are a lot of different cultures that are constantly clashing, both in terms of physically battling each other, but also they have their own prejudices they have to overcome when they're forced to like work together, or you know when people have to move from one place to another, or people are displaced because of war. Like I, I think this series does a really good job of actually showing these different cultures and how they interact. It also has a, I mean, a big part of it is the fact that like the main cast of characters, they are all from different cultures, and they're sort of a ragtag group pulled from the trenches of all these different places, and that's, that's really cool. Um, and you kind of mentioned like satirizing fantasy, and I think this book actually does that a lot. Um, because there is basically a character that is introduced who their whole ordeal is just that they keep pointing out the absurdity of like doing these powerful attacks with these crazy over-the-top effects and they're giving them ridiculous names and I love that. like people calling their attacks before they do them like there is just a character in this that just points out like how absurd so much of what goes on in this world is and I always appreciate that because so much fantasy takes itself so seriously so seriously and like that it is like the way the only way to do fantasy and it's like it's fantasy there's no limitation it's just really refreshing to hear about like a series that doesn't just shrug off that it is in the real world well 
I think that just about does it for another episode of Totally Biased Media. Abby, once again, thank you for for joining us. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you all for having me on. I, you know, like I, yeah, I keep up with the podcast. I watch Jason play the games for it. I have different thoughts and, you know, like everything like that. So this has been fun. Thank you. Thank you all for having me on. Well, we won't wait three years to have you on the next episode. Sure, yeah. whatever. See you for Garfield Party in three years, everybody. Well, if you want to reach out to us, there are a bunch of ways you can do that. Uh, first, on Twitter at TBMCast. Second, on Instagram at Totally Biased Media. And third, you can send an email to totallybiasedmedia at gmail.com. We are streaming on Twitch, twitch.tv slash totallybiasedmedia. We're in the midst of the Year of the Kong. We're playing some Donkey Kong 64 been wild so far it's only going to get more wild as we go and we get more kongs in our army so check it out if you follow us on twitch you'll get notified whenever we're going live and we try to post it on our socials and stuff so you'll know in advance um yeah definitely check that out and if you haven't tuned into the year of the kong you're missing out jordan rage quits nearly or almost gets he wants to rage quit almost every time and then jason's just sitting there reading donkey kong facts and it is the best like the prime existence Currently, we're into Donkey Kong 64, so it's a lot of uh, me just walking around confused about where I'm supposed to go. <laughs> yeah. Less difficulty, but more uh, confusion. Yeah. Well, for the Totally Biased Media Podcast, I'm Jordan Walkup. I'm Jason Simmons. And I'm Abby Witt. And you just felt the bias. Thank you, everyone. Goodbye.